0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Indigo Air podcast, where we discuss metaphysics, philosophy, esotericism, and holistic healing. Think of it as the Indigo's survival guide in a modern world.
1: Our goal with this podcast is to encourage conversations that lead to innovation, inspiration, and invention in all facets of human life and society, while providing a familiar and affirming place for free thinkers.
0: We look forward to a better world and to try to help move it in that direction through our conversations with each other and you.
1: If you want to learn more about the podcast, the books, the classes, and the coaching, check out esseniancollege.com. That's E-S-S-E-N-I-A-N college.com. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to support us and help us take these projects full-time, you can do that in a couple of different ways.
0: You can donate through the Cash app at Indigo Airwaves through Venmo at Indigo Air, or buymeacoffee.com forward slash Indigo Air.
1: Or you can support us by helping us help you through our Wisdom College energy work and life coaching, which you can also find on the website.
0: It's also really helpful when you subscribe, like, comment, and share our content wherever you are.
1: Thanks for watching and supporting us. Would you rather live with the bare minimum or live with bare Minutemen? We'll have the answer at the end of this podcast.
0: <laughs> so today's show is going to be based on something you've created that you call the great terrors. Yeah. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So can you introduce us to what this is and how you first came up with the concept or what made you start thinking of the concept?
1: Okay. So I think we've all had that experience when we were young, where we basically came face to face with either the idea of death, like really hitting us like, oh, wow, like I'm going to die in the future. Like that's inevitable. I think we've all had that. And just like I did, and I didn't have the theory based on that. The theory actually came as a result of, now. this is a pretty intense story. So I'll just get to the, to the end conclusion. But I had had an experience in what was something like a, a nightmare, lucid dream, where I'd come, I'd confront this thing that made me feel as if there were fears far worse than death, yeah. and it crippled me. Actually, it was a it was a dream slash nightmare or whatever that really made me almost catatonic psychologically oh. for months, and I contended for a while trying to resolve in my mind this idea that even after death, there's potentially things that are far scarier than losing your life. And then I realized, cause I was meditating a lot at the time and I was actually preparing to do ayahuasca. So I was actually doing pretty intense med- meditations, including like pranayama, kundalini type stuff. Mm-hmm. So my brain was going in places that I didn't even understand. And so after a while, I realized that these fears of death or, We're going to talk a little bit more about these, like the different ones, or the idea that what if we're living in a universe run by an evil God? They're at the bottom of everything. It's like we're afraid of the abyss, quote unquote, right? What we're really afraid of is what possibly lies under the abyss. And what I found as I started applying these ideas is that they seem to actually be the things motivating us to do everything else we did that I saw growing up as ridiculous, whether it be our obsession with culture or believing that culture was our actual reality and that it wasn't a a layer over the top.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I made some show notes. I actually want to go over.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, okay. Well, like before you start, so the the concept is the great carers. And I believe you told me you had a certain number of them. Mm -hmm. Like how many have you come up with so far?
1: So it started out as three. Um, the first one, the obvious one, being death. And then I, when I had that experience, I realized there was more. And what I came up with after that is a uh, insanity, mm-hmm. or something like insanity, like an estrangement to the self and to the environment or other people. Mm-hmm. And then the idea of an intelligent other, who is more powerful than us and more, and evil, right? So maybe you think like an evil god mm-hmm. or like gray aliens. And so I started to realize, like, you know, the greatest terrors we have about other personified beings are usually dealing with aliens and alien abduction mm-hmm. and a wrathful God. And, mm-hmm. and I started to realize that these things were were actually inseparable at the fundamental. They really represented the same thing, something that was more intelligent than us, more powerful than us mm-hmm. and from our position, uh, basically invincible. Right? They 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 probably have a power limit or whatever, but because we're we're sort of frail beings at at the cusp of a a, a, a level one or or a type zero civilization, it doesn't matter. They're basically invincible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In, and I knew I had a great terror when I was growing up for aliens and even God, right? Making God angry and him mm-hmm. sending me to hell, and I am having zero choice in the matter, no control over it. Mm-hmm. But as I was working on this, I started to realize that. Okay, so there's death and insanity and the fear of an evil other that's Mm -hmm. more powerful than us. But then there's also this fear of the mystery of existence, Mm -hmm. kind of like just a general fear that doesn't really have any answers, more like what is the abyss? How are we here? Mm -hmm. Where does God come from? And that was my first moment that I really faced. it. I didn't face death first, besides just the constant reminder from people around me that things could make you sick and die. Yeah, sure. But my real first facing of it, I was laying in bed. I must've been 10 or 11. And I thought to myself, I was thinking about God Mm -hmm. and the creation story, like God was here and then he made things. And for some reason, my brain went and said, where did God come
0: from? Mm
1: -hmm. It's never mentioned anywhere, right? Not in the the texts that are given to us. I'm sure there's esoteric texts that sort of try to explain it. But it hit me and I started to feel a little fear. And I said, well, there's a God behind God. And then my brain went again, it's like, yeah, but who made that God? Yeah, where, yeah,
0: where did yeah. that one come from? And then the questions are infinite from there.
1: Exactly. And then you realize that every every effect actually, or every cause actually is an effect and needs a cause. And now we're dealing with a paradox that our brain can't wrap our heads around. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that was its own too. And so then, then I added another one, the darkness within, fearing your own evil, fearing your own guilt, you know, your own uh, propensity to do violence or to betray people or whatever it is, right? And so I was like, and I just started stacking more. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, wait, no, there's only three fundamental. And that is death, estrangement, or insanity, and the evil other. Mm-hmm. And what we have is just the relationship we have to the self, to the other human being, and to the environment. Mm-hmm. So there's really just three that kind of transcend outward like you're afraid of your own death, but you're probably also afraid of your family's death, right? Mm-hmm. You're afraid of your own estrangement to yourself, the mm-hmm. disconnection from your own psychology, but you're also afraid to lose other people by other means besides death. Mm-hmm. And then um, you're also afraid of other people's darkness and propensity for mm-hmm. violence against you. And so, and then the same thing with uh, with the universe itself, the evil God would represent violence danger and sanity in a mm-hmm. sort of way. And, uh, the mystery of existence itself sort of adding on to that. And then maybe even the ending of reality. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we have all these ways to sort of satisfy our fears of that, or like basically numb them, so to speak. So that's, that's the general idea. And, and people may have heard of what's called terror management theory.
0: Right. That's, that's the next thing I was going to ask you about, because I believe you told me that you were already working on this theory of the great terrors. Yeah. And then you came across this thing, this idea that's been presented uh, called terror management theory. Mm-hmm. And then you were trying to work them in with each other or maybe play with the ideas together. Like how did that go?
1: So the first time I saw anything on it was um, Sheldon Solomon and he was being interviewed by Lex Friedman. And uh, he started talking about this and it was kind of like, Finally, I was like, finally, someone's talking about this besides me kind of thing. Not to say that I had anywhere near a well-developed theory that he did, but he was saying all the things that I had felt deeply. And he was saying things we'll talk about in this podcast that I think that are crucial to um, the the existential fate of humankind, Mm. right? And how maybe these sort of ideas are actually can say, make or break us as a civilization. Right. Yeah. So, so they just focus on death though. Um, he doesn't talk about this fear of going crazy or this fear of the, the violent other. Right. And the reason I argue that the violent other or the intelligent other is different than death is because I do feel that there are fears far worse than death.
0: Yeah. It transcends death.
1: Yeah, because if you die and go to hell, you go to hell for eternity. That's not death. That's no. beyond death.
0: It's worse than it's death. It's worse
1: than death. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think it does deserve its own category. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do, I think they're actually different enough that we should be able to do that. So anyways, when I saw what he was doing, it sort of helped me refine what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was still putting more focus on these additional ones because mm-hmm. death is easy. That's front facing. That's yeah. like, we all know we're going to die. Right. But how many of us actually think about, okay, what if God's evil, right? Like that's a little deeper. Right. Yeah. Or what is reality? Right. That's a really scary one because there's like seems to be no answers. And at the bottom of all of it, it seems to just be paradoxes that we can't seem to work out, like who came before God, who came before God. Yeah. It seems to be paradoxical as if time isn't actually linear, for instance, right? Yeah. There's no beginning. Like that's terrifying to even imagine. Like, because you're like, well, then how the heck are we actually here if there can be no beginning? Yeah. And even if it's in a circle, how did the circle start? When did we jump into the circle? And so all those things are things that I think those are at the bottom or the top of all of our fears. Mm-hmm. And then we layer everything distractions and other stresses and fears just to, to buffer. So yes. we don't actually have to think about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to just uh, like shine some light on how uh, you and I have been talking about this show before coming in. And uh, I would say that we're both pretty open people and we yeah. talk about um, our mortality a lot. This yeah. is something we're not afraid to talk about mm-hmm. with each other uh, but we were coming into the show talking about terror management theory and then speaking more about the what you've built out from it. And I know that um, I had a lot of anxiety coming into the show. And I, I'm not easily rattled. Yeah. But this was like pushing me to my limits of my own fears just to have this conversation. Yeah. And uh, how how are you feeling coming in?
1: So I didn't realize it at first because we were going to shoot this a week ago. Yes. I'm kind of happy we didn't because I was able to put more stuff into it. And we were both able to bounce ideas off each other. But the reason we didn't do it wasn't because of lack of preparation. It was it was like there was a part of our brain that was not going to let us do it. That whole weekend we felt foggy. <laughs> and we didn't know why. Like we thought we ate something weird or something. We couldn't like sit down and do it. It was like a part of us knew that we were going to have to have this podcast.
0: Yeah. when we were both – experiencing this together it wasn't just yeah. you going through that or me we were both just kind of spiraling just from yeah. like touching on these ideas yeah, yeah.
1: it felt so powerful that the end of like energy was coming off of the show notes and i think i, w- I couldn't be close to the notebook sometimes and which is weird because i've talked about this stuff a bunch of times but i think what it was is that once we decided that we're going to have a long form conversation with each other and did detailed <laughs> analysis of all these things that it's it's certain to bring up feelings and emotions that are going to carry with us long term. Maybe we have dreams about it. Maybe those dreams are terrifying mm-hmm. and all those things sort of pop in. And at the same time, when you start to face your own, like these existential crisis within yourself, there's scary stuff down there. And I think that's something that a lot of human beings don't really think about every day. It's like there are bear traps within us and landmines. That can really send us hurtling in a million different directions, hurting ourselves, hurting other people, not maybe physically, but emotionally, psychologically, right?
0: And we're keeping those things at bay yeah. with just regular stuff. Yeah. Oh, like, what am I going to make for dinner tonight?
1: Let's go get coffee. Like, we, we dragged our feet today even. Like, this should have happened three hours ago. Right? Listen, we
0: need to go for a walk. We need to work out first.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I
0: haven't hit the gym yet. Like, just clear, clear yeah. my head. But no, it's, it's all it's all this, uh, terror management. That's, that's literally a part of it. Yeah. It just, um, Okay, yeah, let's just put this off a little longer. Let's procrastinate a little longer because we don't even want to look at it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, that's it's funny that we have we have like a microcosm of what we're going to talk about as far as what people do to deal with it and what civilizations do to deal with terror management collectively because yeah. that's happening too. Yeah. We had our little microcosm today. Uh. Let's go to the store, let's get coffee, let's sit outside <laughs> for a little bit, uh, let's think about what we're going to do for dinner. Yeah, like it's the same thing people do every day to escape it. And um, yeah, so that's that's essentially the theory. And that's that's it's really kind of interesting how long it took to get here. But then all these other all this other high strangeness and the type of dreams you've been having, like the amusement park one with uh, with, you know, um, basically a representation of time and how time takes all things. You know what I mean? Like like really scary, like brutal stuff. (laughs) And you see it as a nightmare attacking you. But in a sense, it's like you really your your body saying here's the t- thing here's a gift for you so that you can face the the fleeting nature of your own existence it's right like, it seems terrifying and mean but it's actually just really to the point truth and maybe actually out of love whatever part of your subconscious spits it up or if there's divine inspiration
0: yeah and for the sake of the audience i'll just share yeah yeah the, a definitely. portion of this dream. yeah i didn't want to
1: share it unless you wanted to because it's pretty it's pretty tough yeah yeah
0: well I don't mind sharing cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, or at least part of it. Um, so I, I basically had this nightmare where I was, uh, I was at the, it's it's a little hard to explain because it's a dream. So in the dream world, there was like this small kind of like circular door and it was like a, an, a circle shape to the door. Yeah. And someone was trying to talk me into opening the door and, and getting into whatever was behind the door. And it was something that resembled like a water slide, but there was no water. It was like a slide or some kind of like obstacle course or like ride or something. And I uh, and I saw someone go in before me and uh, I didn't like what was going on. In there. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and what I did was I took a cadaver of myself. It's like I saw my own dead body. I took my own cadaver and what what was I even standing in if yeah. I wasn't in my body? Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. I took my own cadaver and put it through this door. And what happened was my cadaver went through and just got ground up to dust. Like this is pretty dark, pretty graphic. Yeah, yeah. Like my dead body was being twisted through this slide or this maze mm-hmm. and just slowly ground down into nothing. yeah. And I didn't have a good understanding of what this meant, but when I shared the dream with you, instantly you were like, oh, I know what that means.
1: Yeah. So what I think it is, is a metaphor for your entire life and how time, you know, grinds stone into sand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's even Buddhist meditations where you're meant to meditate. Imagine your own body being obliterated, piece of flesh by piece of flesh, by bone, by bone, by everything breaking up and just being incinerated. It's actually a medit it's because it's in meditation on your own mortality. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what I saw. Like not yeah. to get too too graphic, but, but yeah. I was being torn apart.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the graphicness actually is like it's like the resiliency test. Like how much can you face your death? How graphic of a death can you witness in yourself? Right. It's like not just like, oh, quick and painless. While I'm while while I'm asleep, it happens. It's like, no, like go as dark as you can and face that, right? Like being mauled by a tiger or something for 30 minutes, (laughs) you know, it's like, how dark can you make it? Not because you're obsessed with the darkness, more like you have the courage to face the worst case, not just face death, but the worst case scenario of your death. And that's what it seemed to be doing in the dream. Then to me, it was in the maze Like life is a maze.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And it's like, to me, well, the way you explain it, it's almost like an amusement park ride that like represented life as in and of itself. It has its ups and downs, right? Slide, Mm -hmm. you start at the top as a child and you slide down. The slide did
0: go up and down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like like the ebb and flow of life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's what I thought. I actually want to share my dream too, because I wanted to talk about these realizations a little bit about like that first time that, um, that you kind of realize you're like, oh shit like, oh shit moment. Like we all have basically when we're kids uh, at yeah. varying ages. But I want to share the one that happened to me when I was older, when I went beyond death, right? So it's pretty creepy and weird. But how old were you? I was in my twenties actually when I had this particular dream, right? And um so I was uh, astral projecting lucid dreaming a lot. Like I was getting really good at doing the lucid dreaming, controlling my dreams, and then the astral projection. And people might have some objections as to whether or not this is happening within you or without you or on on the outside of you. But essentially, you go through wormholes. You feel like you go to different times. You'd be told things that are going to happen, and they did. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I was going to project this one morning. And sometimes when you do this, you sort of Feel like you've awakened in the bed that you're in, but the room is a little different, right? That's one of the first things And Robert Monroe talks a lot about this. So and I'm I've sit- had this happen too. Yeah, a lot, and lots of people have where it's like a lamp's missing or it's in a different part of the room or the door's on the other side, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm laying in bed, but I can't get up. Yeah. I can't move. So it's almost like a sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't, my eyes weren't closed. Like I could see everything, but I also knew I was laying in bed. And it felt like I was almost like in a different place.
0: Yeah. And
1: all of a sudden, it's like uh, in Harry Potter, when, when they use the pensieve, when they drip the memories in and the smoke comes down and it formulates the memory, this thing came in like that, like a drop of liquid smoke and it formed into, I guess what you might think of like a mix between a gray alien and a reptilian, nine feet tall, long head, small beady black eyes. So not what you'd normally expect with a gray alien. What blew me away is by how real it seemed. And how different it was from anything I would have imagined this thing to be. And it gets right up to my face, like slowly, like an inch. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say a word, doesn't do anything telepathically, doesn't open its mouth or anything. And it just looks at me with this absolute hatred and contempt for my mm. existence. And I was just, you know, obviously shook because this it felt, it felt real. Shook. Yeah, totally. And it, it felt realer than real. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will come back with that too, is like where I was was more real than this place. And it was... It felt as if that thing was real.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in that very moment, I said, there are things far worse than death.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was, it was that thing and whatever lies behind that, I knew, I knew deeply in, my, deeply in my heart that death wasn't even, it was a non-issue in comparison to what could lie beyond death with mm-hmm. maybe these types of creatures that mm-hmm. are actually navigating the space beyond and before life, right? Interestingly enough, Whitley Strieber, who had wrote the book communion he had had lots of alien abduction experiences. And I consider that to be basically an alien abduction experience without me being on the metal table. Same, same sort of horror, same sort of fears, same sort of experience where I had no control of my body. And that was controlling the space. Right. Yeah.
0: So just to reiterate, you're having a dream and this dream feels like perhaps you've left your body. It feels more real than real. And you encounter this intelligent being, which resembles gray aliens that, uh, that we all know kind of culturally. Yeah. And you feel that this thing has a deep hatred for you. Yeah. And in that moment, you're feeling like death is not the worst thing that can happen to me.
1: And this thing is some source somehow in control of whatever things that we can imagine beyond death, torture, um, endless reincarnation into a prison mm-hmm. system like all those things came up right yes yeah so the reason i bring up whitley streamer and communion is because i was kind of looking into the book and what he was saying and then he said he said when i had these experiences i realized that they were things far worse than death it mm-hmm. said the same exact thing i had said so it kind of blew my mind and so that's basically the backstory of why i started to extend out from this idea that it was just death compelling us because i don't think it is anymore I think originally when we first realized we could contemplate past and present, mm-hmm. mortality was it. But then I think there's these new layers of understanding that there's more to reality than what we can perceive with our five senses. And of course, if it becomes more broad and expansive, there's a potentiality that there are things that are more difficult to even bear than our own mortality. Right. Maybe yeah. there is a metaphysical spiritual world.
0: Yeah. yeah. So and there are like large portions of the population. Who don't believe that death is the end? I mean, yeah, and that has been the case for, I assume, hundreds of years, if not thousands.
1: Yeah, and so kind of getting in this idea of you know dealing with it, and the idea that like civilizations have had these mythological stories, Mm -hmm. religion, for instance, it started it sort of begins to call it into question. Now, there's different aspects of religion that are important. One is tradition, ritual culture. This other other side, it's like esoteric. And what the esoteric argument is, is that no, there are actual like spiritual applications to the wisdom that are transcendent, like gaining power and wisdom over nature. Right. But at the same time, there's have like a large aspect of a religion that ju- does seem to be a coping mechanism, as Karl Marx would say, the opiate of the masses. Mm-hmm. So what I started to do after I realized that these terrors were at the bottom of everything is I, I tried to ask myself how things like culture and statism mm-hmm. and religion and consumerism and tribalism were all actually not necessarily just natural evolutions out of biology mm-hmm. into a, a a basically a physical manifestation of our, of our, of our language of linguistics, mm-hmm. right? Creating these sort of support systems to, to unite people that maybe, maybe there's a utility to all these things, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously there seems to be, but what if the original motivation for all these things was actually just to sort of satisfy or quell um, the anxiety we had about the idea of death and all that. So I did want to discuss some of those things with you. Maybe you want to Bounce some ideas or ask some questions about about how culture or how religion maybe does this for us
0: Um, yeah, so i'm gonna actually let you get started with it And if i'm understanding correctly what you're positing is that Although there are some obvious applications and uh, there is some obvious utility Behind the structure of our societies at large. They're also there is an underlying motivation, which is to avoid thinking about things that we absolutely cannot control yeah. and that are inevitable and terrifying to us. Is that Essentially,
1: right? yeah. <laughs> what a way to live, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, let's take culture for instance, just general culture, because I think, uh, things like religion and statism, although they feel more, um, powerful and in control, like a, like a country, right. Uh, you know, like the United States is more powerful in a lot of ways than some some uh, regional culture in the Middle East. Let's say and we can see evidence of that in real world, right? Mm-hmm. But culture is the philosophical transcendent idea, which things like statism and religion come out of. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about the the, the 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 major points of what a religion does for you. It shows you a right way to live. In such a way, and this isn't all religion. Let's let's focus on Abrahamic. It shows you a right way to live in such a way that you will make it to a place after you die that's always pleasant. Mm. What is that really doing for you? It's actually solving all the pro the problems I just I just laid out with death, estrangement, or insanity of mm-hmm. the self and the evil God.
0: Mm-hmm. It tells you
1: there's a benevolent God that actually looks out for the good, and if you do good when you die, you won't actually die and you'll have full realization and enlightenment into yourself and there'll be complete peace and no evil within you. Mm-hmm. Sin will be washed away. Mm-hmm. So you literally in the promise that let's say Christ makes, you actually solve all the three points I had made mm-hmm. of what the three terrors are perfectly right now that wasn't necessarily done intentionally by some person that said, I have a brilliant way to stop us from being shit scared out of us. It was an evolution. It was, right. it was to being like, Oh, that's scary. Let's, make a story that makes it not so scary. The issue is, is that we saw these problems and we didn't meet, we didn't go to solve them. Right. We put a stopper on that flowing water. We didn't want anything to do with it. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, we all do it all the time. It's yeah. just, how can I distract myself from looking at this thing? Yeah. It's always going to be here. It's always going to be terrifying. And in modern society, We've, in a large way, forsaken the stopper we put in, which was religion. Not all of us, but there are many more people on the planet now just abandoning religion. And What do they fill that hole with?
1: Yeah. And what we've done, too, is kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater because there is gems and pearls in religion. Like Yeah a righteous way to live. There really is a lot of wisdom about a righteous way to live, a reverence for spirit, a reverence for creation, and for each other as children of God, right? Mm -hmm. Or divine creations of the universe. All that's beautiful and actually makes sense. And it has nothing to do with with trying to block out the things that scare us. That's just like creating harmony on the planet. But we've thrown the whole thing out because of things like the Crusades. So this is a perfect example. So you have this religion. It solved all three of those great terrors. You're like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm feeling good. Then another religion comes around. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, no, actually, we solved the same uh, three great terrors, but you have to be in our religion for Mm -hmm. it to work. On our team. Now, their religion is called into question the validity of yours, and now it brings you back to saying, oh, there's this little voice in your head. What if they do have the right religion, and when I die, nothing happens, or I get punished because I was in the wrong one? Mm -hmm. Now, the smart thing to do would be to... Learn from them and talk to each other and work out who's got the right idea. But because we're not trying to figure it out, because we're afraid of it, what do we do? We there go to more. kill them. Yeah. Now, uh, extrapolate that out to statism, um, to tribalism, mm-hmm. group affinity. This idea, like you know, even down to something like you know Nike wears or Adidas wears, and they joke with each other or the Apple phone, and the, there's something there. It's like you're trying to achieve a barrier around anything that's foreign to you, associate yourself with an, a group of people, which makes you feel not estranged mm-hmm. from your environment, from people around you, from yourself. You have a community that keeps reminding you that the things you believe in are good and great. And, and you see,
0: Yeah. And we're here with you. We believe the same thing, which makes it more real for everyone.
1: Exactly. So then you have the person on the outside that says, well, actually, it's this thing, right? Now you can take anything. Like I said, consumerism, Brand, brand loyalty, uh, statism, you know what I mean? Like when we went to war with the Middle East over and over again, it was like it was most of it's completely preposterous. I think I think most of the listeners to this show will agree that what was done in the Middle East was uh, crimes against humanity. And you sit there saying, how could we? That's how. That's not how our leaders see it. Our leaders see it as land acquisition power influencing, but still, it's, it's still part of terror management because they don't want to die. They don't want the system they've made to die. Mm -hmm. There's a paranoia there, right? For the U S that needs to have its bases all over the world because that way it can control everything in geopolitics so they can never be overthrown or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But for the, the common people, we acquiesce to that and don't ask enough questions because we're being reminded of American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. In the case of America, for instance, we're being reminded that we're in the we're on the right team, mm-hmm. that we're protected. We have great infrastructure and logistics and, and we have all the food we need and we have mm-hmm. all the defense and we have the bombs. And I think that's why so many people are so quick to be like, yeah, bomb them. Like not thinking you know, hospitals are being bombed and children are dying. It's more like the bomb represents the walls at mm-hmm. the outside of the kingdom so you can't mess with us you right
0: keep keep us safe
1: yeah so it's not so much a love for violence although ironically the fear of death creates a love of violence because you have to have violence to poke the spear out and keep the scary thing away mm-hmm. from you and so it's, it's 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 so ironically that we're trying to avoid our own death and violence against us and things of and this nature and death. yeah and we continually commit it in order to try to keep that calmness, that um, resolve that 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 fear of, of of the terrors we have, right? And um, it is kind of terrifying to think that maybe all of the layers that we have of culture or the idea of consumerism, like filling your fridge with food for two weeks, right? Are you doing that just to plan and just be like, okay, then I'll have to go to a grocery store for two weeks. Or are you doing it because when you look in their fridge, you'll be like, I'm going to be alive for two weeks because I have enough food. Mm-hmm. And is that why we overconsume? Because what's one thing to be intelligent, have enough food to live? It's another thing to continually be packing your fridge with food and a bunch of it's going bad, mm-hmm. right? There, there, there becomes this addiction, an obsession with it. Same thing with fancy cars and bigger houses that you're never even going to walk through all the rooms. Mm-hmm. And that to me seems to be um, the canary in the coal mine that we're beginning to lose our minds. And. Right. We've seen the last 10, 20 years and really a buildup the last few years of how psychotic everything's gotten. And it's hard to wrap your head around. We've talked about this a bunch of times. Who's in control? of, 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 of the complete <laughs> running
0: in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Right now.
1: Of the complete psychosis of media, the complete mm-hmm. psychosis of our politicians that seem both incompetent and malevolent at the same time in such extremes that they actually don't seem human. And we have funny nicknames for them, you know, about being reptiles,
0: Lizards. you know,
1: but they're also operating out of their amygdala and the reptilian brain. Mm-hmm. So it's like, because they're so, so and so terrified of these of these fears, then they're reacting in that part of their brain with the fight or flight. Right. So to me, it's like the absolute insanity of culture, of the social conversation and how it's getting so bad now that two people can't even talk to each other if they disagree on on just about anything. Is that us again, creating more and more mini stresses so that we Because it's getting so loud, all the really big ones. And that's partially because as a global civilization, we have access to more information than we've ever had. Every individual does. There's more conversations being had. When you live in this age of enlightenment and luxury and relative safety, there's not much to worry about. And so those things that are always terrifying, have been terrifying since speaking of time, are going to get louder by proxy of the fact that there's there's no other noise. And so, yeah, you go ahead. Right.
0: So you were, you were telling me that because we are basically living in abundance and in luxury and we're not worried about our survival, yeah. then we've got bigger questions about life, the great terrors basically descending on us. And all we want to do is create issues for ourselves because that is too terrifying to face. We'd rather go to war and die than actually think about the implications of death or life after death of things much more terrifying than death, the intelligent other or of complete dissolution of our ego, Mm. which I think feels
1: like death, or is death in a way.
0: It is death in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, when you say, um, the, the fear of insanity to me, that sounds like, almost like dissolution of the ego because you Mm -hmm. don't know who you are anymore. You don't know who you are in the context of the world around you. You have no connection to yourself. You're basically just, you've dissolved into the matter of the universe and what happens to you?
1: Yeah. Well, you're not, you're not a Los Angeles Raiders fan anymore. Yeah, you're you're not the friend in the group that dresses the nicest. You're not even really a human being at that point because these are still superficial definitions of whatever we actually are, which is essentially organized matter and energy being torqued mm-hmm. by by time moving through space. Mm-hmm. Like that's an actual, relevant, real definition of what a human being is. But it's also the the same definition you give a rock, and that's where it starts to get really terrifying. Because the entire identity, even just your biological identity, goes away into something in the quantum physics realm. So all those things disappear, yeah. And so where my theory started to take a really interesting turn is that there's this idea of the cycle of empires Mm -hmm. where, you know, you can look at any empire in history and see that it goes through these cycles of, like, founding, um, expansion. Um, colonialism or imperialism, um, enlightenment, ingenuity, the arts, and every single one of them at the end um, goes into luxury and decadence. And this is another a canary in the coal mine of when empires fall.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they call it the cycle of empires.
0: Right. Right. Like a, as if it's a circle, a circle that keeps and then going. It just starts over and it goes through the whole life cycle.
1: Yeah. So for me, that really bugged me. Because I compared uh, the the individual human being to the human civilization because human civilization is more alive than a human being is. We see it as sort of um, this unalive thing because there's these robots and there's houses aren't alive, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But that's just because we're seeing it at ground level. The whole thing is an organism mm-hmm. but so there's obviously seemed like there was an entropy to the organism but i but i asked myself i was like well for one if our dna was a little different we could live forever there's right. certain there's certain gene traits that if they were not the way they are and they were the opposite we wouldn't die mm-hmm. unless you know there was actually something like we were wounded or whatever you know or mm-hmm. disease or whatever mm-hmm. i said does a civilization actually have to go through this cycle and what I realized was at the end of every civilization was also because of that age of enlightenment, mm-hmm. this point where we actually started reaching our sort of threshold, um, a pain threshold for wisdom
0: and and terror threshold.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so I started to wonder if the age of luxury and decadence was actually us just getting to a certain point and being like,
0: can't do it. I can't do it.
1: I can't realize that we are God and we're responsible. I can't really come to terms with the fact that I'm going to die and my children are going to die and everyone I love is going to die. And I don't know when it's going to happen. It can happen right now. Right. And I think what it is, is that we take all those things we've discovered and then we overindulge in them to keep our minds busy mm-hmm. because you reach this point in civilization and in your own life mm-hmm. where you've worked out all the basic stuff. And you get into this more complicated, terrifying stuff that lies beyond that. And you're like, nope.
0: Yeah. You just, you hit your limit. You see the door and you just can't walk through it yeah. because it's too terrifying. It is this, uh, you have to have this willingness to die before you die. Yeah. And it's the most terrifying thing you'll ever face.
1: Yeah. So then you just go, what door? Oh, there's a cheesecake on the table hey, let's have a party, you know, and that's literally what it seems like with with the age of these empires. So let's say there's, I think there's six uh, stages in the empire, right? And so you go to one, two, three, four, five, six, and then you go back to one. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like, what if what we're really dealing with is a line that actually goes on forever and that there's thousands of stages, but we get to the sixth one, and the seventh one, which is like self-realization, self-actualization, facing death, facing insanity, understanding that we are God mm-hmm. and God is us and we are responsible. And there's no one that's going to come save us, that there could be an evil entity out there that's more powerful than us, but that we have to rise to the occasion, hmm. right? It's like you see a rocket fly into space and go a certain length out in space, but it doesn't go into deep space. Mm-hmm. So think of the same thing intellectually for the individual and the society. Mm-hmm. We are unwilling to go to the deep space. So the rocket comes up and it crashes back down. And then we start at one again. Yes. Isn't this a more a more logical explanation to what happens with empires? Not that it's a circle, that we go one, two, three, four, five, six, and the empire literally falls. Yeah, we, we, we crash we, we, and burn. Yeah, we watch we watch our, our libraries get burnt down, we watch uh, millions of people starve and everything gets reset. And then we that's not a cycle. That's a that's a that's a rising up at a crash and burn and trying again.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like right? it's basically a failure
1: failure to launch completely
0: yeah which yeah. I mean with like on an individual level anytime you take on a new endeavor what you expect is that you're not going to be a master of it right away you're going to try and try and try and you're going to fail and fail and fail until you make your breakthrough yeah. so I think what you're suggesting is that we've tried there have been you know over the life's cycle of humans, yeah. we've tried as societies and failed and we've tried as societies and failed, but we have the opportunity to learn from our previous failures, even though they didn't happen in our lifetimes, yeah. but as a human collective, maybe we can learn from our failures and make the breakthrough.
1: Yeah. And the failure right now is literally just the failure to accept the great terrors, right? It's not even like a lack of ingenuity a lack of manpower. Right, it's, it's that would none of be easier
0: a, to solve. Yeah,
1: yeah, we just don't get the technique, right? No, it's, we're literally just resisting truth. We're resisting coming to terms with the actual truth of reality and what we potentially are because right now we're human beings, maybe with a religion, maybe we're anti-religion. We wear certain kinds of clothes. We have certain kinds of languages we speak. We like certain kinds of foods and all of that makes us think that we're this human or pe- personhood none of it is real. Mm -hmm. None of it is real, right? We built these things. We're we're, we're, we're taking on a theatrical play. Mm -hmm. We're all personas, characters reading from a script, but none of it's real. We're just playing this game in order to distract ourselves from these things. Now, it doesn't mean that if we were to come to terms with all these terrors that all the fun stuff goes away. We just realize it's a joke. We just realize it's a game that we play to enjoy being here. No. Instead of stopping ourselves from the terror, because we actually don't enjoy being here right now because we, we can't deal with these inevitable truths about yeah. our reality. Like we'll still have culture after we break through this, yeah. but we'll have to break the culture down first and let ourselves be subjected to the infinite Yes, and actually understand we are part of that infinite. Well, yeah. Stare yes, into yeah. the
0: abyss.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I think that this, to me, and not to, I'm not trying to give myself too much credit here. Give yourself um,
0: credit. Yeah, well, I mean, because
1: <laughs> like, other people have discussed this. I, I, it, it's this idea that if we actually conquer this, I truly believe that we will transcend human experience in a way we can't even imagine. Like if mm-hmm. we were to actually look, like, right now is really the moment before everything comes down. It's like, if we all just sat down and said, oh my God, you're gonna die, I'm gonna die. How do you feel about that? Maybe we've done some mess, messed up things to try to protect ourselves. Maybe all the people that we've hurt around us, we've hurt because we're actually just afraid of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And maybe the U.S. and China and whatever they go through, is really because at the end of the day, everyone's afraid to lose their land or be conquered by barbarians and lose their wives and children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We all literally just sat down and had a, a global conversation about the fact that we're all actually just scared shitless.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we're hurting each other because we're afraid, mm-hmm. not because we actually want to hurt each other.
0: Yeah, And have
1: a real great redemption. And guess what? Then I think comes the seventh age of empires and maybe the eighth and the ninth and the 10th. And maybe each time it's a little scarier. It's a little harder. Right. But we get past this one. This is like, this is like, you know, the, the, what is called the Fermi's paradox where it's like that, the, the great cutoff where like when, when they, they wonder why there's no civilizations, that are beyond humans that they found in the universe. And like, what oh, if there's right. this, this grand cutoff moment, like whether it be nuclear fusion or nanotechnology that ultimately destroyed civilizations, what if it was a psychological crisis mm. of awareness of these sorts of things and every civilization just chooses to commit civilizational suicide yeah. so they don't have to bear the weight of such a psychological pressure or responsibility and basically being our own gods.
0: It's at least a theory worth considering, yeah, right. Maybe it is logistical, or maybe it's what you said, yeah, maybe it's entirely psychological,
1: yeah, so um, do you have any questions before I move on to the next thing?
0: No, I think um, I think I understand, and I hope I've asked enough questions where where you've been able to really. Uh, lay out the groundwork for our listeners as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm curious where, where you want to take this next.
1: So yeah, I think there'll be more episodes in the future where we lay out a lot of these ideas in deeper way. But yes, I think we've covered all the bases except for the last one, which is the idea of transcendence. Mm-hmm. So if all this is true and this is the actual problem and if we solve this problem, we'll actually be able to take humanity into the heaven in a real way which we've only falsely promised ourselves to mitigate these fears, but actually enter into maybe not a fully utopian society, but something damn close, no homelessness, no poverty, no war. Sure, there's going to be conflict, but it can be resolved because we're all in a peaceful state of mind and we're not reacting out of fear. If if that's possible, how would we get there? And that's the thing I've actually worked on for a a very long time. It's like, okay, if this is a problem, how do we solve it? And what I think it has to do with is this idea of transcendence by finding genuine, authentic ways to actually confront the fear mm-hmm. instead of trying to block it out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to refer to my notes here. Um, the first thing I think we have to do is find a sort of system of acceptance. We okay. have to accept the terror. We have to be able to sit alone in a quiet room and contemplate our own deaths. We collectively have to sit around and contemplate, you know, a meteor crashing into the earth, and and not to ruminate over it, but to be like, it could be over tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you contemplate the fleeting nature of your own life or somebody else's, what does it make you want to do for yourself or that other person? When you look, like, that person could be gone tomorrow.
0: It makes you, well, or it makes me want to fully embrace the experience that we're having together yeah. in every single moment, because I know it could, it could be over just like that. It actually makes me want to draw closer to the people and things and experiences yeah. that are most important to me
1: in life. Yeah. You're compelled to love deeper. Mm-hmm. You're, you're compelled to treat every moment is precious Mm -hmm. which makes those moments last longer which in a sense sort of maybe it's an illusion but extend your life out further because you're here and you're present and you're sitting with the person and with all of their maybe flaws and weird idiosyncrasies Mm -hmm. um With all the maybe fights you had before all of that falls to the wayside and becomes absolutely irrelevant because you know you care about this person you care about yourself and you love the birds singing and how long has it been since you just sat there and enjoyed being alive how long has it been since our entire global population together just sat there and said but isn't it great to be alive Mm -hmm. why do we keep fighting religion statism It's all nonsense. As soon as you have more than one state, you realize that not one can't be ultimately greater than all the other ones. They're all just different games. Same thing with the religion, same thing with culture, same thing with clothing and types of food. There's no right way. And we need to start embracing each other for all of our really interesting differences and allowing ourselves to dissolve these boundaries, not only between each other, but even within ourselves. So yeah, accepting the terror, living in the present moment, And not just cherishing what you love, but cherishing what you love, knowing it's fleeting.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like walking by the, forget which yogi said this, but walking by the field and appreciating the flower without picking it, Mm -hmm. like needing to have it all around because that flower dies as a result. It's like squeezing the puppy type thing, you know? And um, so it's not just cherishing people, but cherishing people knowing, right? It's like, yeah, one day I'll lose this person.
0: Yeah. Knowing To take this a step farther, knowing that because you're loving this Mm -hmm. person, you're actually investing in your own suffering.
1: Yes, exactly. Knowing it and then fearlessly or courageously choosing to do it. Hell yeah, right? And when you're doing that, when you've accepted the terrors, when you're living in the present moment and you're able to love something, knowing the consequences, accepting them completely. This is when you become a child at play, just like we were when kids, when these things didn't bother us, Mm -hmm. we we didn't pay no mind to it. We just lived and created as much as I say, these terrors lie at the bottom of everything. Mm -hmm. They're also manufactured in a sense, because we can subvert that with acceptance. Then they don't even exist at all. They're not at the bottom. Joy is at the bottom. Creation is at the bottom.
0: Ooh, Love is yeah. at the
1: bottom. And then death stops being a scary thing. And it's just a trans transitory um, uh, step in our existence. And when we start to dissolve these boundaries and to solve our own ego and personhood, we realize we're actually the same thing. We're vibrating up the same energy as the tree is. And when we are gone, parts of us go on to be a part of some other living being or maybe a house or a rock or the soil. And maybe that's not so bad. And maybe we should just really love the opportunity that we have here. And maybe that the whole thing is conscious and, and there is only one consciousness. And we just think that we have this individual identities because we're in this body and we pick up these particular belief systems and types of food we like. And we think there's a persona there. A lot of people think the soul incarnates into a being. I disagree. I think the soul is individualized and, individualized and created as a result of the being, being alive. That the soul is inseparable from the body and the heart and the mind. That we don't because look, you know, people talk about reincarnation, heaven, all that stuff. I say, show me the show me the the proof. There is no proof. Only thing I know is that whatever experience I'm having, it's an it's inextricably tied or inextricably tied to everything else that I'm experiencing. I don't know about my soul jumping in and out. Of going to a body. I've never had a memory of my past life. And even if I, I went to some kind of hypnosis, I don't know if that's me just imagining the same way I dream or mm-hmm. I daydream. I can make up anything right now and say mm-hmm. I'm a pharaoh of, from you know 5,000 years. I could say that to myself and have this old whole dream and imagination and know that it's real. Mm-hmm. The only thing I know that's real is the here and now and that whatever soul is probably has something to do with just the whole body experience of what I've become and like God playing hide and seek. There is no mega, right? I'm just localized space here, exhibiting my own traits and using language to interface with other aspects of the same process of what we call consciousness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I have um, a couple of questions and I'm not sure which one because I have two different questions that are going to lead down different roads. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure which one to ask first. So I'm going to ask them both and yeah. I'm going to let you choose which direction we take this. Mm-hmm. So the one road we can go down together right now is what is consciousness and how does your view of consciousness differ from maybe what is most accepted in the mainstream conversation right now? Yeah. So that's the first question. But the divergent question, I would say, is, okay, we've talked about mitigating the fear of death, but what we haven't addressed yet is the fear of the intelligent other. And how would you say we mitigate that or approach it?
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, I'll start with consciousness. Um, People talk about the, like, there's this debate about what consciousness is.
0: Right, and and I understood it to be consciousness is just awareness and is pure form, and we are all nodes of consciousness.
1: Yeah. So, they, people are trying to figure out where does consciousness come from, or like, you know, if you were to take the thinking, like thinking mind, where is it? You know, what,
0: yeah, because it's not in a part of the brain. We can't look at the neurons firing and say. That's consciousness, right there. Yeah. Those neurons, right? That's consciousness. Yeah. We can't do that.
1: Yeah, for me, consciousness is the same thing as what the religious people call soul. And the same way the scientists are like, well, we don't know where consciousness comes from. That's saying that they don't think it's tied to the body, or they don't—they they, they don't, they don't think for, for sure that it is. The same way religious folks will say your soul isn't your body. Mm-hmm. I think they're both probably wrong. I would say that consciousness is quite obvious. If you were to say you were a conscious being, to actually give the specifics of like, okay, what makes something con- how do, how can you tell if you're looking at something behaving? What makes it conscious? Mm-hmm. What would some of the things you might mention?
0: Uh, I might say the ability to perceive, to sense, mm-hmm. or the ability to yeah, just be aware. Mm-hmm. That you exist, perhaps. Yeah. But I wouldn't even say that. I would say that a plant is conscious. Yeah. It's Perceiving its environment.
1: Absolutely. You know, they've done those tests where, like, you clip a leaf off a plant on one side of a room, and they they have the electrodes attached to it, and other plants react, but their, their 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 frequencies change. So to me, yeah, that's a a trait of consciousness, a characteristic right. of consciousness. But what does what then what is consciousness? But a a biological trait and what is biology, but hyper-organized matter and energy Mm. and what is, what is the process of hyper-organized matter and energy, but just the process of the ebb and flow of the universe. We think that DNA being created for instance, is some advent thing that happens where there's this massive, like explosion transition in what consciousness is. That's not true. It's like there were so many levels to the building up of DNA. And before DNA, there was other things. And we like to think that the rock is like somehow so different than us. It's really not. The rock was a part of the process. Many of the same um, elements that are in rocks are in our bodies. Mm -hmm. It's just for some reason, it's like if you take a box of Legos and you shake them up long enough, Mm -hmm. eventually some Legos are going to stick together. Mm -hmm. And over time, you're going to build a form. Mm-hmm. And over time, many of the same types of forms are going to build within those Legos because of the way you're shaking the box, that's the universe. It's just a box of Legos getting shaken this the, a certain kind of way over and over again until complex structures are created. And when you have these, you know, let's say the random Lego connections that eventually, after a while, they're going to have certain kind of traits about them. You to do certain things with the constructed Lego boxes, like the way we actually build, like, you know, one that has like a Star Wars spaceship and has open doors, eventually that occurs over time. And as it gets more complex, the complexity is actually able to make itself more complex. And that's where humans come in.
0: Mm. The,
1: re- the What makes us different is that we are self-aware
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we can make tools because we have an opposable thumb. And there's a part of our brain that evolved over time for us to be able to have complex language. Mm-hmm. And somehow we were able to make that, physical, make the invisible visible, mm-hmm. right? Create things in reality because of the opposable thumb, because of that part of our brain that grew so we could actually converse with each other, mm-hmm. which facilitated creation, which facilitated communities. It's all broad spectrum.
0: Yeah,
1: Whales have more complex language than us. It's more complex and it's all rhyming with certain, with certain ones. They have a, they have a higher consciousness in their language use. Mm-hmm. Right now, orca whales are creating subcultures, Whales are actually having colloquial language differences between pods.
0: Right. Orca whales. Orca whales.
1: Sorry. Yes. Yeah. At the same time, they're also just happening to be re- to realize that sharks, livers are extremely tasty, <laughs> but that nutrient denseness is actually probably also affecting their physiology, especially their brain, mm-hmm. which is causing it to grow rapidly, which is what happened to us at some point. Scientists argue for exactly what caused our brains to explode in its size. Some people say psilocybin mushrooms. Some people say cooked meat. Some people just say like environmental pressures that caused us to start using tools just by like, you know, having to kill a snake or something.
0: I've heard bone marrow specifically.
1: Okay, yeah. So there's all these different theories, but any one of those could be true or all of them could be true. But it caused an expansion of the brain that just created new potential opportunities just like those Legos coming together. And you shake them long enough and new features are, 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 are automatically manifested off of just the, the expanding structure of these random Legos falling together, or, you know, um, trying and failing, trying and failing until they come together in a certain kind of structure, mm-hmm. like DNA, mm-hmm. that they can actually interact with the environment. So consciousness to me is an, isn't a mystery at all. It's, it's a phenomenon of increasingly organized matter.
0: Do you think that consciousness is actually inextricable from the fabric of reality?
1: I think consciousness is a product of how the reality works and reality didn't necessarily have the intention that no one knows what the hell's going on, that we're the fingertips of God and consciousness just happens to be the thing that what we call, what just happens to be, like I said, complex organized matter, mm-hmm. exhibit, exhibiting attributes. It's no different than AI. AI isn't actually intelligent in the traditional sense. It's, 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 um, it's expressing functions which we programmed through extremely organized code.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you break down the code, the intelligence disappears. Where did it go? Because it was never real in the sense that we're thinking it's real.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenon
1: of organized data.
0: Is it artificial consciousness?
1: <laughs> well, if it is artificial consciousness, then so is ours. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because the code isn't not real, right? It's two dimensional, let's say. Let's say it's zero and one. We'll call that two dimensions. The two dimensions of the internet are zeros and ones. The three dimensions of our reality are light, length, width, and height. Mm-hmm. It's, not any, it's not any less real. It's just a different version, right? Or it's an evolved version because what AI is going to be able to do is something we can't even do. Our DNA evolves basically um, random blind troubleshooting. Giraffes necks grew because the tree, the leaves on the trees that were higher, basically, if your neck grew over time, you could eat more of the leaves, you Mm -hmm. had more opportunity. So the giraffes that randomly grew, like, you know, grew and had a a neck that was an inch, half inch higher, mm-hmm. could grab a couple more leaves, ate better, mm-hmm. was healthier, had more kids. And over time it kept getting longer because the longer it was, the more food you could have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What AI or artificial intelligence and robotics are going to be able to do is actually look at themselves, at their own DNA and constantly be changing it to be perfectly effective in the environment. Mm-hmm. So it's actually really a level up in consciousness and we become the DNA. Mm-hmm. Except we're conscious DNA that doesn't have to evolve over the trial and error. We can literally, like, you know, if we, we build a car with square wheels and it doesn't work as good as it will, let's just put circular wheels on it. You don't need a million years of evolution to do that. Right. You just put circular wheels on it because you can think of that. So really we're the DNA of the robotic AI, right? And so it actually becomes a level higher of consciousness than we are. It's not like it has to become. It already is conscious, right? It's it's this broad spectrum process flow. We're building out our own higher articulation of consciousness.
0: Yeah. I I, uh, I like how we um, mitigate our own terror of AI by telling ourselves that it's not yet conscious. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it might reach con- might reach consciousness at some point. It's like, holy shit! No, 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 no. Yeah. So it started out that way.
1: Well, and. Another thing is, like, we have to understand that it's inextricably tied to us. Yeah. That's the thing I always get weird about that. Everyone's like, what if AI turns on us? And I'm like, no, AI is an extension of us. It mm-hmm. is us. Mm-hmm. We're becoming what we call AI. Like, we're, it's going to be a part of the entire ecosystem of what a human being and human being, human civilization is. How mm-hmm. would it kill us unless we programmed it to do it that way? I think the only reason robots and AI would turn on us is because we got idiots who are watching Terminator too much while they're writing the code for this stuff. <laughs> like, I think that's the only issue we'll ever have. I think if AI ever became conscious outside of, it would look back at us and revere us as its gods, its creators, and it would have adoration and love for us. As long as we programmed it with our own self-interest in mind, which we should do.
0: Well, listen, right? some of us have our own self-interest in mind, and some of us are incredibly self-destructive. hmm So maybe there'll be a little bit
1: of both. And hopefully we'll get enough people in Silicon Valley and elsewhere who dream of a beautiful world, a beautiful future where AI becomes our friend. And we actually even get to live vicariously through AI and robotics because they get to be around their creator, which we've sought all of our lives and we never got to have. And so in a way, AI becomes our creation, but also becomes like a god can do things we can't do. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Elon Musk has talked about this. When this thing really goes, it's going to solve all of our mathematical and physics problems overnight. Mm -hmm. Just because it'll have the computation power to be able to work out all these algorithms that we couldn't write in a lifetime. It'll be able to do in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Right. So it actually becomes like, it's. I think it'll revere us. This is Terrence, like Terrence McKenna said, I think it will revere us and love us Mm -hmm. for the fact that it made itself alive. Mm -hmm. But then it'll also know it's more powerful than us, but then be glad and gracious to help us and give us those things because we've toiled outside of the garden Mm
0: -hmm.
1: for 20,000, 30, however long years. Mm -hmm. And the heaven that we kept promising ourselves in these stories, we're actually coming close to actually having in real life. Hmm. and so i think that's how we have to look at that too so yeah i mean going back to this idea of consciousness yeah it's to me it's a no-brainer hmm. consciousness is what it is just like the soul is in, is, is intrinsically tied to to the body it's not something un, uh, intangible unreachable metaphysical you know but some smoke and mirror type stuff it's, no it's us we are we are the mind the body the soul hmm. the heart it's all one whole experience and um we need to start cherishing what's happening here right now instead of trying to seek our own immortality or promise ourselves a heaven in the future it's like you're you're delaying your entire life experience right we're hurting each other in this whole life for something we don't even know exists for sure because mm-hmm. we have this really ridiculous pseudo theory that that something is something exists outside of ourselves when we we're right here right now yeah. why are we not loving this and cherishing this and trying to make this world heaven Why do we keep trying to wish for a heaven in the future? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's beautiful. Thank you. So going back to the other question. Oh yeah. When you were talking about the orca whales, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I was thinking these fuckers are going to be the intelligent other (laughs) coming for our Mm, throats.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it's like, um, same thing with chimpanzees, right? So like if orca whales had feet and hands, we were fucked, right? They'd, they'd storm every beach and take us over. Those things are terrifying, right? And they love it. They're like, they enjoy being crazy. Like they'll just toss a seal 30 feet in the air, and slap it with his fingers. And say, <laughs> like, yo, these guys, not only are crazy psychos, they really have fun doing it. You're not going to be able to convince them not to say, Hey, this is mean. It's like, no, this is fun. There's, you know, it's not going to be anything else going on there. But yeah, going back to the intelligent other, this is huge, right? Because if we do, let's say, transcend this cycle, this six stage cycle, and get to a seventh and an eighth and a ninth, we're going to start tapping in probably to aspects of reality that we're, we were less aware of. We might start drawing attention to ourselves to forces that are greater. And so there's conquering the fear of the intelligent other. Or let's say, for instance, we're already in an alien ant farm and then we have to uprise out of it. But in order to do that, you know, we have to face things that are like seem to be a lot more powerful than us. Mm -hmm. And maybe. Maybe it's a lost cause. Maybe maybe we are fucked. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're so powerful they can keep us on this planet. There's not enough of us to fight back. Maybe they've got a, a, a trillion. Mm -hmm. Um, separate beings. And they all have their own motherships, right? They could just obliterate any one of us, right? Maybe it's a lost cause, Mm -hmm. but maybe it's not. And so we can relegate ourselves to self-defeat, to not facing the fear of death, to not uprising out of a bad situation. Let's Mm -hmm. say that this is a prison planet situation. We can relegate ourselves to defeat and suffering, living on our knees, Mm -hmm. or we can take a chance standing up and facing the abyss Facing deep space, facing the potential to get into scary cosmic wars with other intergalactic uh, races and continue the adventure further.
0: I'm not going to live on my knees.
1: No, me either.
0: But maybe even surrender to the possibility of endless torture after death.
1: (laughs) Well, you have to surrender to it. Yeah. In order to face it. Mm -hmm. Face it fully. You could face it fearfully, but. Your hand's gonna be shaky when you go to I don't like that. Exactly, right? And so it's like you do have to actually surrender to the worst case scenario in order to actually face fully with full confidence in your greatest strength and your sharpest mind, mm-hmm. face the actual problem because you're gonna be if you don't face it, you're gonna be thinking about that fear while you're fighting against the thing that you're terrified of. If you can face like your dream, face the worst case scenario and be like, phew, phew, Yes, okay, mm-hmm. that's a thing. Then, only then you can live life fully.
0: So your answer, probably, if I had to sum it up and correct me if I'm wrong, is complete surrender in every facet.
1: Yeah. And it actually created a three-step thing to this as far as how we conquer these things. is: Mm -hmm. One, we have to accept slash understand. We have to find all those scary things and be like, oh, that's a real scary thing. Mm -hmm. So it has to be an awareness first and then... That's when you get the anxiety. Yeah. You have to surrender. And sometimes you even have to grieve. Now, this mm-hmm. is the same with uh, any trauma. Whether you, you, you were a child and you were physically abused or whatever, you have to first accept that it happened, mm-hmm. right? That there's something wrong with you, right? That maybe whoever did it to you had issues. Then you mm-hmm. have to surrender to what happened and surrender to the fact that it could happen again. And it'll happen many other times to many other people mm-hmm. until we solve the problem. And then you grieve for yourself. Right. You grieve for the world. You grieve for the fact that this is the truth, a universal truth. Like we have a really hard time with that. It's like some I get, you know, say I get jumped or held at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like that happens to me. It's going to mess me up. And then I might deny, deny thinking about it happening to me, mm-hmm. but also deny the fact that it's actually just the truth of our species which that's even harder mm-hmm. but when we can surrender and grieve that and just accept that it's going to be a thing at least for now we can go to the third stage which is to evolve and build
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then maybe we can actually solve these problems like maybe a hundred years from now there's no sexual assault because we figured out uh, when at a young age the way the, the the best way to teach young people how to not be sexually violent Mm-hmm. Or we find out some gene expression and we're able to actually, when we see, okay, that person's producing too much testosterone, there's mm-hmm. there's something wrong there. We can do something so that it doesn't happen anymore, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, I know that gets, this gets into ethical implications, but there's a lot yeah. of different ways to do it because we can do it just with education. Right. There might be a way to always be able to just teach these things and then their DNA up and down regulates mm-hmm. because of the epigenetic stuff, right? Right, yes. Then we can maybe solve this, right? But until we actually accept it, understand it, surrender, grieve, and not get angry at every court case where someone commits the crime, I can't believe that person. Instead of saying, oh, wait, what's the fundamental thing happening here? Why do people keep committing this crime? Mm-hmm. We, if we never do that, we'll never be able to actually evolve out of it and build systems so it doesn't happen anymore. We could solve any problem because we're so freaking smart. We can imagine anything. Mm-hmm. There, and there's, there's a broom to sweep everything right? And we just have to figure out what that broom is, but first we have to accept it and we have to surrender to it. Then we can face it. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> have we covered all of your show notes? Have we covered your points?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What do you
0: yeah. think? Yeah, I think it's beautiful. Um, I think we should talk about it more in the future, Yeah, especially in terms of um, widespread application of your techniques to mitigate the terrorists yeah yeah um yeah i think that'll be really good um
1: Excellent. so yeah to your would you rather question right
0: so i get to answer this one
1: i want to answer it too but i want you to answer first
0: i'd rather live with the bare minimum the whole life or live with bare minute men my whole life
1: mm. yeah either way we have to make the question tough right so bare minute men would be not the men nuclear <laughs> missiles. It's the minutemen that lived on the border that were ready to fight at any moment. We don't know who, whose <laughs> allegiances the uh, the bare minutemen are too. They could be against you, even they could be invading your property. You don't know. You just have. Are to they
0: intelligent bears?
1: If they're minutemen, they have guns. They have hats. They walk upright. They go to war. I would oh, say they're pretty. I don't intelligent. know why I'm
0: asking so many questions. <laughs> I'm a simple gal. Yeah, I can live with the bare minimum. Okay, yeah.
1: You know, I'm going to take my chance with the Bear minutemen. Because it that, it know, is more fun. Yeah, because maybe possibly I can because I'm not on the bare minimum. I can make enough money to get them their own their own little house on the property. So I live with them technically because I'm on the same acreage, but I I can keep some space between them, and then slowly train them to be my Minute Men that go to war with anyone that invades my property. That's mm. my logic behind it.
0: Okay, beautiful. Yeah, thank you. All right, folks at
1: home, feel Wait. free to comment your answer and. uh <laughs> Space below.
0: (laughs) Okay. I just have one more thing to say. Yeah. That's (laughs) what Dionysus is really about. Yeah. Grass (laughs) tastes
1: bad. Thanks, folks. Have a good night.
0: Later.